Grace and peace to you, beloved. We are continuing in our sermon series this morning, Practicing Life. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them with you, <coughs> pardon me, to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. You're welcome to follow along in your Bibles or on the screen above me, or you can close your eyes and listen as we read God's word this morning. When Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. The Lord has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. As he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all of the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In my six plus years of parenting, three words have come to irritate me more than I think any other phrase I have ever heard. She started it. It doesn't really matter the source of the conflict between any two of my three children, whether it's tug of war over a prized toy or a shouting match because of a disagreement or perhaps a shoving incident because someone was sitting too close to someone else. I can expect to hear, she started it, he started it, or the emerging very popular Olivia started it. And I will tell you, Olivia is just a couple of weeks now from turning two, so it is a fairly accurate statement that she started it because she starts a lot of things in our house lately. But what I tell my kids is that that's not the point, right? It doesn't matter who started it. What matters is the standard of care that we have for each other in this house. We talk about this in different ways. But for, the, for most of us, it comes down to some variation of what we call the golden rule. Treat others the way you want to be treated. If you're following along in the sermon notes that were made available online, this would be your first answer. Treat others the way you want to be treated. So if you grew up attending Sunday school like I did, maybe you memorized it like this. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We find this teaching in the sayings of Jesus in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke in what we call the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain. It's a great rule. It's a popular concept. It's something that is taught in schools and churches and in families, Christian and non-Christian alike, around the world. But it's rarely practiced, even in my own life. 
You heard me correctly. I just said that the golden rule is rarely truly practiced even by followers of Jesus. And the truth is, beloved, if we're going to be honest with ourselves about our daily interactions and the way we relate with others, the way we relate with others often reflects the way they treat us. The way we relate with others most often reflects the way they treat us. Of course, we will treat others well with grace and kindness and compassion until they throw us a sideways glance, until they raise their voice at us or let us down in some other way, and then all bets are off. Then we feel free to match their terrible behavior for terrible behavior. They started it, we reason. We are totally justified and protecting ourselves from that kind of behavior. So we make a few edits to the rule. Yes, I'll treat others the way I want to be treated, but only as long as they are treating me that same way. And in doing so, we tarnish the golden rule and our relationships. Now, relating with others may not be something that you consider to be a daily task, but it's something that you do on a daily basis in one way or another, And that's the point of our worship series, Practicing Life. We're talking about the ways that we interact with God and each other in our daily tasks. We started with the body-soul connection and waking up to face the day with God. We talked about the importance of nourishment of our bodies and our souls. We talked about unconditional love and the importance of finding peace and taking deep breaths And now we are in week five of this series, and we're considering the connection between our relationship with God and our relationships with other people. There is, of course, no better example of that than Jesus. We see that in the text that we read this morning from Luke chapter 4. Jesus is wholly aware of that connection. The story takes place early in the public life of Jesus as presented in the Gospel of Luke. At this point, he's already been baptized. He's already spent time in the wilderness. He's making a name for himself as a thought-provoking teacher in Galilee. And it's here that we find Jesus in the temple, in his hometown, on the day of worship. It would not have been unusual for Jesus to take part in the readings of the scrolls that held the ancient words of his people. In this case, he's handed a piece of prophecy from Isaiah. We know it as Isaiah chapter 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus says, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. The Lord has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Again, this would not have been an unusual scene. Truly, just about any man in the synagogue could have done the same thing, stood up in the same way, held the same scroll, uttered the same words. But Jesus was not reading these words. He was claiming them. He was connecting his experience at baptism when his identity as the Son of God was affirmed and his testing in the wilderness when he was sustained by the word of God, and his growing public ministry when he's pointing people to God's presence in their lives. He's connecting those personal experiences with the faithfulness of God to the people of God, 
throughout the history of their tradition. That's what this talk about fulfillment is about. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, Jesus says. In other words, I'm the one. I'm the one who has been sent to bring the good news, to set people free, to help people open their eyes, to cancel debts. This isn't some far-off hope either. This is a life that is available to us right now if we are willing to treat others the way we want to be treated. Because who doesn't want good news? Who doesn't want to be set free? Who doesn't want to live without debt? Who doesn't want greater vision for their life? These are some of our deepest needs, beloved. Thank God Jesus came to acknowledge and meet those needs regardless of how he was treated. Jesus came to meet the deepest needs of humanity regardless of how he was treated. It's like the unwritten part of that rule. Treat others the way you want to be treated regardless. Of course, that doesn't mean that just anything goes, that we should let poor behavior slide. That's not what Jesus said, and it's not what Jesus did. We have plenty of examples of Jesus in his ministry calling people, calling people out when they weren't living up to the standard that God required of them, when they weren't reflecting the truths by which they were called to live. And certainly I'm not suggesting that we would ignore abusive or unhealthy behaviors. The golden rule begins with a question, really. How do we want to be treated? Presumably, we want to be treated with kindness and grace and love and respect, even when we're having a bad day, especially when we've made a mistake, certainly when we feel unworthy of being treated so well. It's really no wonder that we find this notion of treating others the way we want to be treated in the mix with other teachings of Jesus, teachings about holding back judgment, teachings about loving our enemies. It's like Jesus knows. Jesus knows how hard it is to remain kind and loving when people have lost their minds. Jesus knows how easy it is to return a sharp and biting quip to someone who has just stung us with hateful and irrational words. Jesus knows what it feels like to want to turn around and walk away in anger when we have been disrespected. And Jesus knows that we are just as likely to be actors of this behavior as we are the recipients of it. Isn't that true? I mean, don't we hold people to a higher standard than we hold ourselves when it really comes down to it. We don't tolerate any disrespect from anyone else, but when we lose our tempers, when we say something out of turn, we sure would like forgiveness and quickly. I think that's exactly why Jesus shared the golden rule in the first place, to help us see that human connection, to point out to us that the simplest of words can show us that the way we want to be treated is the way everyone wants to be treated. But for millennia, we have struggled with this concept. Other wise people have tried to help us along the way, people like Milton J. Bennett. Do you know that name? 
He's an American sociologist. He wrote a paper in 1979 called Overcoming the Golden Rule, Sympathy and Empathy. It's where we get this idea of the platinum rule. But before we go too far into that, let me just say that 1979 was a really great year. But back to the platinum rule. Maybe you've heard of it. It calls people to treat others not just the way we want to be treated, but the way they want to be treated. The platinum rule requires us to treat others the way they want to be treated. Now, of course, we don't find the platinum rule as such in our biblical text, but we certainly find the concept there. We find the concept there in the way that Jesus acted toward others. What we're talking about here is basically the difference between sympathy and empathy. Now, the way that I understand sympathy from my own study of sociology is that sympathy is acknowledging someone's feelings from your own perspective because perhaps you have experienced something similar. It's a good thing. You can acknowledge someone's feelings because you have been there. But empathy is acknowledging someone's feelings from their perspective, especially when you haven't experienced something similar. But you can still acknowledge their feelings from their perspective and the way they are expressing themselves. In other words, the golden rule calls for sympathy. Treat others the way you want to be treated. The platinum rule calls for empathy. Treat others the way they want to be treated. And Jesus calls for both. Jesus came to do both. Jesus fulfilled both. He could understand sympathy he could show sympathy because he understood what it meant to be human because he was one. But he couldn't live every single possible human experience. He sure did cover quite a bit of ground, and we see that in the reading of the scroll from Isaiah and his acknowledgement of human suffering, his recognition of the many ways that we find ourselves living in poverty and captivity and darkness and oppression, and debt. We see it even more in what he says when he puts down the scroll. It came to put an end to all of that suffering. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And in that fulfillment, beloved, we find an invitation, a challenge, a return to purpose. If these are the things that Jesus came to do, then we find them on our to-do list as well, as followers of Jesus. And it's an overwhelming list, to be sure, a list that requires us to acknowledge our own suffering and to move toward the suffering of others, whether or not we fully understand it, to relate with others, with sympathy and empathy. Wouldn't it be great if that's what we were known for as Christians? I mean, in this day and age, the word Christian is often considered to be a synonym with the word judgmental. And we can bristle about that with something about holding tight to our values, but that's the reality for many people. For good reason, they feel judged by people who say they follow Jesus. But they started it, we say. They started it because they're not living the way they're supposed to be living. But it doesn't matter who starts what. What matters is the standard of care and caring for each other that we hold in this house, in the Lord's house, 
in the Lord's world. But just for fun, let me ask you a question. What if we started it? What if we, as followers of Jesus, started something? What if we started not a fight or a quarrel or a division or dissension? There's enough of that to go around in the world. What instead if we started a revolution of sympathy and empathy? A golden, platinum revolution of moving toward the suffering of others without judgment. Now, I'm not saying we're going to get this right every time. I know I don't. As always, I am preaching to myself as much as to anyone else. But it is possible. It's possible to make sympathy and empathy our rule of life. In fact, it's already been done. It's already been fulfilled in our hearing by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the one who calls us into this way of living, a way of living that really is possible if we are willing to move beyond the way we want to be treated and the way we think other people want to be treated to the way they really want to be treated because we know how they want to be treated because we asked them and they told us and we listened. What if, beloved, we really did know how others wanted to be treated because we know them well enough to know that because we were willing to get to know them because we are willing to relate with others because we are willing to relate with people who are wholly other, different from us because we're willing to move towards suffering in light of and in spite of our own experiences. What would it look like then? What would life look like then if we really made ourselves available to fulfill with our daily actions what Jesus came to fulfill with his? I, for one, truly believe It is in this way of relating with others that this life we live can turn golden. Amen? Amen.